pray for us. Father, again, thank you for this moment that we have to gather as your people to, to hear from you. Lord, I pray for us as a people that we will recognize the significance of, of, this, of this juncture. Lord, that we will believe as a people that you show up. That you really do show up. That you really do speak. Lord Jesus, that you really do count us as brothers and sisters. That you are really calling us to hear what you have done and to trust you. Father, we thank you uh, for your goodness and mercy. The provision that you've made through your son and his life and his death and his resurrection. His ascension to the throne seated at your right hand interceding for us even now. But I pray that you would grant what you require. That you would stir our hearts. That you would convict us. That you would strengthen us. That you would conform us to your image through this word. And Lord, we just pray that you would be faithful to your promise to not allow your word to return void. We trust, Lord, that you will accomplish all that you intend. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So I've got this a, a, a longer uh, uh, quotation, and it's coming from the whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson, and I just want to read it, and it's going to be up here in in pieces. If you want to read it, you can. I just it's a long quote, and so I really want. You know, if you're like sort of visual, you would have an opportunity to, to, but this sort of sets us up for what we're going to see in this passage. So Ferguson writes, God loves you because Christ died for you. How do those words distort the gospel? They imply that the death of Christ is the reason for the love of God for me. By contrast, the scriptures affirm that the love of God for us is the reason for the death of Christ. That's the emphasis in John 3.16. God, and this is the Father here because he's talking about the Son. God the Father so loved the world that he gave his Son for us. The Son does not need to do anything to persuade the Father to love us. He already loves us. The subtle danger here should be obvious. If we speak of the cross of Christ as the cause, the cause of the love of the Father, we imply that behind the cross and apart from it, he, might, he may not actually love us at all. That's the implication. 
He needs to be paid a ransom, a ran- ransom price in order to love us. But if it has required the death of Christ to persuade him to love us, Father, if I die, will you begin to love them? How can we ever be sure the Father himself loves us? And I love this little air quotes, right? Because Ferguson, right? Deep, deep down, right? With an everlasting love. How are we going to know that? True, the Father does not love us because we are sinners. Okay, get that. Right? He makes an important caveat here. True, the Father does not love us because we're sinners, right? But he does love us even though we're sinners. It's an important distinction. He loved us before Christ died. It is because, because he loves us that Christ died for us. In effect, this is the lie by which Eve was deceived. She exchanged the truth of God for a lie. The truth was that the Lord had given Adam and Eve an entire cosmos of good gifts to enjoy. In turn, he provided them with a single positive law. They were to show their love for him by refusing to eat the fruit of only one tree. Don't eat the fruit of this one tree. And that not eating the fruit of that one tree was on the basis of, or on the basis that their loving father, excuse me, yeah, on the basis that their loving father said so. And that whatever he commanded must be for their good. The lie by which the serpent deceived Eve was enshrined in the double suggestion And here's sort of the punchline. Two things. This father was, in fact, restrictive, self-absorbed, and selfish. Since he would not let them eat from any of the trees. Two, his promise of death, if they were disobedient, was simply false. Thus the lie was an assault on both God's generosity and his integrity. Neither his character nor his words were to be trusted. It's it's profound, subtle, what Satan does there. This, in fact, is the lie that sinners have believed ever since. The lie of the not to be trusted because he does not love me, false father. The gospel is designed to deliver us from this lie. For it reveals that behind and manifested in the coming of Christ and his death for us is the love of a father who gives us everything he has. First his son and then his spirit. So, the question is, do you believe that? Do 
Hey, can I tell, can I tell just a little bit of that story, Robin? Let us talk about this. Too late. I'm already doing it. Okay. So Robin and I were talking about this. And it was so funny because, and I'm implicating myself here too. Right? I was telling Robin about this. And she says, oh, yeah, we're both like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, God's, God's grace, God's mercy, right, all this. And she goes, yes, one more chance. And I said, yeah, no, no, no. Right? I mean, but I was going with it. Now, as you all sit here, right, I'm quite certain that there are some of you who have a very difficult time believing what we just read. In fact, there are going to be some of you here, right, that are far more comfortable with the idea that God is like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, okay, I'm going to let you in, but, you know, just by, just, yeah. Some of you will feel far more comfortable with a God that says, okay, just sit over there, right, and don't screw anything up. It's a whole lot easier for me. There's always this sort of undertone for me. I can feel it. It's always like just underneath, like right underneath here, right? This idea that, that God is like, yeah, yeah, I'm just putting up with you. Is that, what, is that where you are? I mean, there's some of you here that will say, oh, no, no, I know that it's by Christ's uh, death and resurrection. It's his mercy. It's his grace. And you will turn around tomorrow and go right back into the cycle of trying to do Right? For him. You know, here, let me give you a real subtle way this works out. Okay? So, at the church where we were whenever we were in Waco, they had a confession of sin. And so, like, everybody, you know, they sort of read this thing, and everybody was quiet for a second. And it's kind of cool, because we all said, yes, we're all sinners. And, you know, you can, like, look at the person next to you and go, I heard you say that, right? Because you're a sinner. So am I. Right? But it dawned on me one day. I was sitting there, and I was like, you know, anybody do this, like when you're doing this confession, the confession part of your quiet time, right? And you're just, oh, Lord. And you're just, you're just twisting your face because you're, well, you're just trying to feel, to feel really, really bad about that sin. Am I the only one? Does anybody else do that? I mean, like, you keep confessing it. Like, you keep your prayer. Oh, Lord, please just forgive me for this. And, oh, that was just so bad. And what's interesting is that that can become this, what it can turn into is it's more about you finding rest in feeling like you're sorry enough. 
you find rest in feeling bad enough about being a really, really bad person. Right? Because if you feel really bad about it, then of course God's going to be like, all right, that's what I want to see. <laughs> Gather around, people. This, he's drawing some blood. That's what I want to see. Some of you do that. I do that. I think that this passage that we're going to look at, it is a great passage because it, it does a lot of things all at once, and I'm going to try not to, not to mess this up. This is one of those times where I had, a, I had an idea about how to do this, and it sounds really great in my head. Right? We're just going to see if it flies. But we're just going to pick this thing apart. And so if you're sitting there and you're going, well, we're not going like through the passage. You know, I, I know that. We're not, yeah, I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to pull it apart and we're going to tie it together. Okay? And so it's going to be a ride. It's going to be this sort of, okay, so just stay with me. I think, I think, I think it'll be fine. But because there are two, two basic things, right, that we're going to see in this passage. We're going to see... This lie that Ferguson talks about, we're going to see it expressed. I mean, it's going to be out loud. And we're going to see this lie get, ex get exposed. But I think that you're going to be really interested in how it gets exposed. Okay? So first, it's Numbers 14. First thing we want to do is look at Numbers, the very first part, 1 through 4. And just real quick, the background is chapter 13. Of numbers. That's the background. That's the spies, right? The spies go into the land. This story, right? Israel, remember they've come out of Egypt. They've been enslaved in Egypt for a really long time, in bondage. God rescues them, brings them out. They're traipsing across the wilderness, right? They've had some interesting interactions with God along the way. And they get to this place now where they're kind of, they're on, they're like right on the edge of the fulfillment of this promise that they've been waiting for for so long. And Moses sends some spies in. I know we just did this in Sunday school, and that's one of the reasons I'm doing it. Because Brad Gallion, he was teaching through it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, there's so much good stuff here, right? You just can't possibly unpack it all at once. But we were both going, ooh, yeah, wow, ooh, you know, and so it seems appropriate. But there, Moses has sent these 12 spies into the land to check it out. And it's really, it's interesting, we're not going to read it, but it's interesting in 13 how some of the, some of the stuff that unfolds. Like, for one thing, they go through, and Moses told them, okay, here, I want you to check it out. See if the people are strong, see what the, see what the land's like, see if the cities, if they're fortified, like if there's armies, that kind of thing. Just check it out, see what's going on, and uh, bring us back some fruit. Right? And then there's a little line in 13. It says, and it was the time of early spring, the first ripening of the grapes. Right? It's not just a time stamp, right? It's, oh, my goodness. It's like the gathering of the fruits. And what's interesting is that these guys go in and they 
The word is they cut down a stalk. It's the same word that gets used for cutting off, separating out of the people. So these guys are sort of like doing, they're enacting the very thing that God is promising he's going to do whenever they actually go in there to take over the land. They're chopping down this, this, uh, this vine of grapes. I always think that they are, anybody else do this? When you read 13, you think that, oh, man, this, does that mean they were giant grapes? No, they weren't in the land of, you know, giants. So they go in, they get this stuff, they bring it back. They got to bring it back on a, so, so long, the stalk is, you know, the vine. They got to bring it back on poles. And they come in and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, but these guys, they're really big, right, and just some fortified cities. Yeah, right, they tell that to Moses. And then Caleb says, you know, oh, we can go do it. And then the other ten spies, they say, are you kidding? No way. No way. We're going to get eaten. We're going to get devoured. The land devours. We can't handle this. And so the people are hearing all of this stuff, and now we pick up on their response. Here's what they say. Numbers 14, 1 through 4. Now, did you know, just stay with me. Just pretend like you haven't read this before, and I want you just to go with it. Numbers 14, 1 says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and wept that night. And all the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the, this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will, will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said that before, right, at, the Mount, at Mount Sinai, back in Exodus 32. We've been here before. They sort of threw around the idea, hey, wouldn't it? I'm just thinking. I'm just spitballing here, but why don't we, why don't we go back? Okay, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out. I'm just Here, they're making a plan. They're making a plan. Numbers 14, 4 says, And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back. Deuteronomy 1, 27, this is Moses sort of reviewing this. Here's what he says. Listen to this. And you murmured in your tents and said, get this, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us, not the land, to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Does that sound like the not to be trusted because he does not love me, false father to you? Before you answer that, let's listen to some other things that get said in this chapter, okay? Again, we're not going straight through, but I want you just to hear this and see if maybe, okay, maybe, maybe we can make some sense of this. Maybe, maybe before we go, well, now that's just nuts, right? Maybe, okay, well, let's listen to some other stuff. Here are some other things that God, wait, hang on. Where's that? Oh, okay. 
Okay, so, and you could just listen to this. Here's, here's some of God's response to this. Listen to this. How long will this people despise me? 1412, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. I'll get rid of them. Numbers 14.23, none of those who despised me are going to be going into the land. None of them. 14.27, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing about being put to death in the wilderness and death by the sword and all of that good stuff, right? Right. I'm going to do it. All that you said in my hearing, I will do to you. 1429, listen to this. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. 1432, but as for you, your dead bodies, just in case you didn't hear it the first time, but as for you, your dead bodies will fall in the wilderness. And verse 33, until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. 34, he says, you're going to bear your iniquity 40 years and you shall know my displeasure. 35, surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. What does that sound like? This God is saying, you people, you despise me. How dare you? Who do you think you are? You know what? I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. You know all that stuff that you were afraid of? There you go. How you like it. You know what? I'm going to tell you what, I'm just going to kill you. You're going to die a slow death out there in the wilderness. What does that sound like to you? Now, this isn't what they said, this is what God said. So here's the question, right? Is there that little voice going off inside your head right now that goes, yeah, see, I told you, that's why I, that's why I feel this way. It's right there. You just read the scriptures. There it is. Yeah, that's the way I feel about it. He's just waiting to kill me. He's just waiting to take me out. He doesn't like me. He doesn't really care about me. He's just putting up with me. 
He's just tolerating me. And I'm walking a very thin, tightly wound rope that could break probably at any moment. And he's just going to say, I'll forget you. And what I'm asking is, is this. Do you feel that way about God? Now, in your head, right, and here's another one. In your head, you're probably going, yes, I know, it's so bad. It's so bad. I didn't ask that. I didn't ask if you thought it was bad. I asked if that's the way that you feel about him. Not all the time, you say. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, it's not all the time for me. You know, but it is at really important times. Like in a crisis. You know how I deal with it? I was telling, I was telling the other elders this week in, 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 in uh, the meeting that, um, so, so my deal, I might have said this before. So my deal is, I know that I'm sort of in this. When I start fantasizing about how those people who have hurt me The whole world is gathered round. And everyone is gathered round with me, and they all say, Yes, yes! You're right. You know what I do? This just, this just happened to me. Just happened. I mean, like, I'm not going to tell you what happened. <laughs> I'm not ready. This just happened to me. I mean, I got caught up in it. And what was great is it was so clear that it was me. I mean, there was no question of, well, was it the situation? No, it was all me. You know what I try to do? I, try, I get really angry. This, and again, this is literally, okay, let me just say this. I'm not talking about anybody here. That's the danger. I, I'm not talking about anybody here, right? I'm not talking about anybody I see, I've seen in counseling ever. I'm not talking about that. I am genuinely, this isn't, this isn't pastoral embellishment. This is me. Okay? I start to feel like I need to attack somebody else. Because it's too much for me. Right? Because if there's really something here with me, well then, I'm done. I mean, the rope just broke. God's going, all right, that's it. How many of you sort of go, have this sort of last try you know, system? You sort of feel relief because you're, you're, you have that sense of, okay, thank you, thank you for one more shot. 
Okay, I promise I won't mess it up this time. Y'all are sitting there like you don't do this. Y'all better start shaking your heads or I will start calling on people. And if you're visiting, you ask anybody, I will do it. Really, come on now. Does this happen to you? Are you listening to this? And while it's being read, and you, so everybody's like, oh, yes, those people, those Israelites, they're, they're awful. And you're going, yes, yes, oh, yeah, why do they do that? All the while sort of knowing that sounds a lot like what I just said. This sounds a lot like what I kind of think God's like. This is the lie. This is that lie that Ferguson is talking about. The lie of the not to be trusted because he does not love me, false father. You start to see where what's going on here, there's a problem of seeing. And there's a problem of believing happening here with these Israelites. And that's the problem for you. I want us to look at what actually exposes this lie. Right? Now, what we just said, that doesn't expose the lie. Right? Those were all just straight statements made in this passage. What is it that exposes this lie? Well, you've got Two very different responses. You've got the congregation's response. God just wants to hurt us. They talk about God like he is. The picture that I got here was this image of a little kid that's just vicious and cruel and has a stick and he's just poking this little dog. That's what this sounds like to me. This, exp- this description of God. Now, what is it in this passage that exposes this for what it is? Well, look at 5 through 10. And it's going to throw you off a second. So verse 5, listen to this. Then Moses and Aaron, they fell on their faces. They heard what the people said, and they fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of Israel, and then Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephne, um, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. What was happening there? Now this might sound like it really fits into this other category. Obviously Moses and Aaron were scared. See, doesn't that just prove it? He's vicious, he's mean. Right? He's cruel. They just wanted to get out of the way. And Joshua and Caleb, are they tearing their clothes and going, oh, look how bad these guys are. Oh, we're not like them. Isn't that what they were doing? No. Both of those falling on their faces, Moses and Aaron, Joshua and Caleb tearing their clothes, That's grief. That's mourning. 
they recognize that something that just happened is a tremendous, horrible violation. It is a move against the living God. And so how we know that, listen to this. Here is what Caleb and Joshua say. Now, this might, be, this might surprise you. So these people have just said, oh, God, he just wants to kill us. He doesn't really care about us. He's just selfish, cares about himself. He just wants to manipulate us like little puppets on the strings. And notice what these guys don't do. Right? Listen to this. Read what they say. The first thing out of their mouth. They said to all the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. Is that what you expected them to say? Is that what you say to somebody when they say, oh, God is horrible. He's an ogre. He hates me. He just does his thumb on me and he's pushing me down. Is that, what you, is that what you say to somebody who's talking that way about God? Ooh, is that what you say to yourself when you talk about God that way? Wait, chances are no. Chances are you go, oh, stop that. You're a horrible person for saying that. Shh, stop. Stop it. He will hear you. Shh. Right? You, you give yourself a good whack or two. I'm so sorry, God. Thank you for the. But that's not what they say. That's not where they point the congregation. Look at what they say. The land that we spied out, it is exceedingly good. And they're not just talking about the land. The land as important as it is, is not the end. Look at what they say after that. If the Lord, verse 8 of 14, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Don't be fooled by that conditional, if, then. That's not the point. The point is not some sort of uncertainty. Hey, guys, don't do that because if he delights in us, we're going to get something good. That plays right into what they're talking about. So that doesn't work. The if then is this, and it applied. If he delights in us and he does, he does. If he delights in us, he will give it to us. And he does delight. But he gets better. Mm, sorry. He says, only do not rebel against the Lord. And then here's the second part, right? So he does delight in us. and He'll give us the land. Just don't rebel against him. Right? And then here's the second part. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. 
their protection is removed from them. How do you know? Right? That's what's being contested. How do you know that they're going to be bread for us? Incidentally, this sort of contrasts with what the other spies said. The other spies, they said, man, this land is going dev- to eat us alive. Caleb and Joshua were saying, no, 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 no. We will eat it. That's just another way of saying we will overcome. But how can he say that? He's not just convincing them, no, 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 guys, we got a good shot at this. Really? He doesn't say that. He says in the latter part of verse 9, and the Lord is with us. So you've got this God that delights in you. Because he delights in you, he is giving to you. And that God who delights in you and is giving to you, that God is with you. That's the argument. That's what they counter the claims here. This rebellion, this disobedience. They deal with the rebellion and disobedience by saying, let me show you this God again. Let me show you who he actually has shown himself to be. Here he is. That's how they do it. And the God that they set forward is a God... It pours out this mercy, compassion, goodness. It's a God that does his people good. That's the picture that they paint. This counters my way of doing this thing. Okay? Any other, any other parents here who like to look, use a little good shame every once in a while? Some, some, some shaming predictions. You're not going to have any friends. <laughs> Even saying that out loud right now, it's embarrassing, right? You're not going to have any friends if you keep doing that. <laughs> wow. Wow. And I know some of you are going, well, it's true. They won't. <laughs> this is, I'm, not, I'm not like, you know, trying to give it. To, I, I do that too, right? So, hmm. okay, I'll do, I'll do you one better. Right? We cheat that way, right? Because we sort of go into this, or I do, go into this mode of, I'm going to get this done one way or the other. Right? But these guys... They present a very different picture of God. A very different picture than the congregation has in mind. And that suggests this, right? It sort of suggests this, that perhaps a huge antidote to the problem that we're seeing here is right seeing and 
faith. In other words, we are trusting in and holding on to the God who is actually there. We're trusting in and holding on to the God who has actually described himself and shown himself to us in his word. There's more. Deuteronomy 129, listen to this, and we'll be finished here in a second. Deuteronomy 129. Then I said to you, this is Moses, then I said to you, you know, they're all freaking out, and Moses says, then I said to you, don't dread, or don't be in dread, or be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who goes before you, will himself fight for you. As he did for you in Egypt, listen to what Moses says, before your eyes, you saw it. You see what he's doing? You saw it. You saw what he did. He fought for you. Who does that? Does a God who's self-absorbed and selfish and stingy, is that what they do? Deuteronomy 131 And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God, and I love this, listen to this, just try to get this image. He brought you out of Egypt, he was fighting for you, and then out in the wilderness, here's what he did. He carried you as a man carries his son. All the way that you went until you came to this place. He carried you. And now we're, we're way beyond, Lord, sort of sentimental, hallmark, you know, the footsteps of Jesus in the, in, the, in the sand. We're way beyond that. That's too peaceful. We've got to a God who's carrying a people who are punching him and slapping him, surrounded by all kinds of craziness. But he's holding on to them. He carries them. I'll ask again, is it hard for you to see God carry you? For some of you it is, right? And this is what's difficult. This, see, this is where it gets real sneaky, okay? This is where it gets real sneaky. Because some of you, and I'm just, I'm just sort of going off of, you know, general probability here. There are some of you that don't want to be carried. You know why? Because that feels very wrong. I mean, because if you've got to carry me, then you, you can't carry somebody else who probably needs it more. Anybody? Right. Okay, so you're the, okay, so, you, you know, you're the strong one. Right. You're the strong one. Everybody relies on you. 
You can't be weak because then who's going to be strong? Oh, come on, really? Nobody? And I, trust me, I'm not mocking. Because chances are, you come by it honestly. You know? It came from somewhere. But here's the difficulty. If you can't be carried, then it's difficult to know who God is. We could flip that around. Can you believe he wants to carry me? What does he think? Does he think that I'm weak? Does he think that I'm needy? Are you kidding me? I don't know what God is thinking. And he goes on to say this, verse 32, the Lord, your God, who went before you in the way, listen to this, so we've got a God who is delighting in them, giving them this land, we've got a God who is protecting them, providing for them, he's with them, we've got a God who's carrying them, and then says this, the Lord your God, verse 33, who went, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, who went before you in the way to seek out a place to pinch your, pitch, your, uh, pitch your tents, in fire by night and in cloud by day, to show you by what way you should go. He's carrying you. And he is, he's, showing, he's saying, come on, come on, this way, this way, this way. He's got to come back, you know, like your little three-year-old. Come on, come on, come on, got to go this way. No, 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 don't go there. That's, that's, no, that's not good, that's not good, that's bad. Ooh, you fall into the water. Let's go this way. That's your God. That's your God. This is why he says in Numbers 14, 11, these people despise me. Or even better, listen to this. He says, and how long will they not believe in me? Here we go. In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. will they not believe in me? See, this is the problem, right? God shows up and he says, here is who I am. And you and I go, uh, I can't really go for that. I know it's probably true, but uh, I just don't feel good about buying into that. In little ways. As you, as you help everybody and provide for everybody and do all of that self-sacrifice. There's a chance that you're being like Israel. You're buying into the lie. 
underneath all of that, you know, well-ordered sort of stuff that you have going on, right? There's that stuff that's just right, right below the surface there. Yeah, but you can't show that. Just like Israel. Congregation in the wilderness. Saying, nope, can't buy that. I mean, I'm all for Jesus dying and raising and ascending and interceding, but eh, I don't need this part. He shows his goodness through an intercessor, which you've heard, many of you have heard this before. Moses appeals to God. He's, the people are going nuts over here. They're doing this stuff. And then Moses goes, hey, God, because God just said, you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'll tell you what. I'm going to strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses says, again, stop. Stop. And here's what's fascinating. Oh, this is what is fascinating. The basis for his plea is precisely what these people were rejecting. That's the base. Listen, he says this. Oh, okay, 17, 14, 17. He says, and now, and listen to the way that he says this. This is so interesting. And now, please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised. How does he want the power of the Lord to be great as the Lord has promised? Look at 1418. Quote, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, Forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the four, third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love. He was appealing to precisely that character of God that these people said, we don't buy it. We think he's trying to kill us. And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. The next verse. 20, 14, 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned. Now, there's a caveat. I have pardoned according to your word. And then he goes on. But truly as I live, none of the men who seen my glory... And my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to test these ten times and not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. Now you might say, See, if God's so loving, why did he do that? Why is he saying these guys can't get into the land? 
What does it come down to? Well, let me ask you this, first of all. So let's say that you are, um, let's say that you're driving through Walmart, parking lot, not through Walmart, but you're in the parking lot, right? And somebody, they've got their hood up and they're scratching their head, which is that universal sign for, I don't know what's wrong with my car, and I need somebody to help me, but I really don't want to ask. Okay, that's just me. So you stop, you get out, you pop your hood because, you know, you park that weird, and you get out, and you pull out your, you need some jump, and they're like, yeah, that's great. And so you pull out your jumper cables, and you hook them to them, and then you come over there, and then you, you know, you don't just hand it to them. You hook it up for them, right? And then you go to your car, and then, you know, you do, well, we go, right? And then that person is, you know, yeah, 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 trying to start their car. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and then smoke comes out, and you're thinking, well, okay, I know what's going on here, right? But now they got their car going. What if, what if, right? I just want you to tell me exactly how you'd respond. What if that person got out of their car, and they came, they took off those, those jumper cables, and they threw them at you, and they said, you are blocking me. Get out of the way. Would you all say, oh, you're not even right. I'm sorry. Let me get you out of the car. Get him. I'm sorry. Is that what you do? No, you don't want to say what you do. See, how about this? How about, how about, I know that some of you have had this happen. You tried to help somebody, right? You tried to help somebody. And they respond to you. They, they, they and you're, I know y'all are going to say, ooh, my child, that's who. Right? They respond to you like you are just ruining their life. I'm trying to help. They're, get away from me. Now, you're telling me that you would feel no indignation. You're telling me that you wouldn't feel one bit of wrong, that you don't see something unjust has just taken place. Is that what you're telling me? But what we have here is the God who created everything, including the people, rejecting him as he has shown his mercy and grace. And they just keep throwing it back in his face. So what is he supposed to do? What is he supposed to do with the people that won't believe him? Okay, get this. Let's put this on the right foot. I love you. I want to give you everything. Trust me. And they won't believe him. What is he supposed to do? Is he, is he supposed to say, yeah, you're right. There's probably something better. Is that what he's supposed to do? Because that's, that's kind of a problem since he's God. In fact, what we see going on here, this will read, what we see going on here is actually Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. 
he was going to wipe them out. And Moses said, on the basis of your steadfast love, please pardon. He pardons. He gives them another 40 years to walk around in the wilderness and says this, look, you guys are going to die. Your kids are going to go in. But you guys are going to die. He's shown us a number of things in this passage. He's shown us the need for this mediator. He's shown us the need for iniquity to be born. It's got to be born. That's why they were out there for 40 years. He's shown us the need for this death, right, this dead body to have to, or, or the, the, the defeat of the body of death, right, this older generation. They have to die so that, this younger generation goes free. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Right? The parents who reject God are disciplined and their kids, they suffer because of that. And now they're in bondage just like their parents. Does that sound familiar? Adam us. Only at this point, we don't have Jesus. We have Jesus coming. We have Jesus eternally ready to come. That's the reason that this is happening. That's the reason you have a God acting this way. Because he loves us and he is working out a plan and a purpose to show us, to bring us into it. So the question for you and I is really simple. And this sort of gets at what the author of Hebrews was saying. The author of Hebrews was saying, if you hear his voice today, don't harden, his, don't harden your hearts. So we can translate that, right? If today you feel weak and you go, oh, I don't your hearts run to this God this father that has brought you to himself in his son if you feel if you feel that shame right don't lock it up try to pretend like it's not there trust believe in this father who has done good to you in his son.